Welcome to Zach Solved Mysteries, the most important podcast you'll ever hear in your life. I know enough about most things to be inaccurate about everything. We're not just a podcast, we're an experience. This story f***s, dude. Prepare to have your life transformed because not listening to us could be a grave mistake. You must wake up every day and say, today's the day someone's going to murder me. We're not just tackling the classic mysteries of the past. We're rewriting history itself. Robert Stack, I think, had dirt on people. Forget everything you thought you knew about unsolved mysteries. Or any sort of mystery. Maybe there were giants. Who knows? Who cares? Subscribe now to Zach Solved Mysteries anywhere you get your podcasts. Get solved. Haha, <laughs> mystery solved, my bitches. Gods. No matter the world, no matter the time, Gods always seem to creep their way into the collective consciousness of the peoples who walk the worlds that make up the thread of the continuum. And Tor is no different. If only they could learn, could accept, that there are no gods, there never were. Or at least, there were not supposed to be. It has already been told that it was not gods who brought Tor into being, but rather the power wielded by the Inati, the First Folk who brought creation, knowledge, and presence to the blank canvas of the world, making it and shaping it and filling it with life. And it was they who brought into being the two peoples, the Halka and the Lena, who would in time come to be known as the Dwarves and the Elves respectively. These people dwelt in peace for many thousands of years, with the Aenati ruling and watching over them, as lords and monarchs but never as gods. Then came the Great Warping. The misguided effort of King Orkanor to steal the power of the Eastern Lighthouse, Runenauer. This dark deed backfired, scourging Orkanor and his lands in the southeast of Irdalin and his people who dwelt there. The Tharvan Elves, the Elves of the Grassy Plains, had been renowned for their horse-breeding and riding ability, and as lovers of music and poetry. But now they were changed. Filled with the power of the Fae, their bodies made bigger, stronger and tougher while their minds were overcome, leaving nothing but wild storms and rage. It is not known how the Inati quieted their minds and restored them, bringing back the people they had once been. All that is known is that it drained them of nearly all of their power, and that was not enough to undo what had been done to them physically. They remained taller and much stronger than the other elven kindreds, but they no longer lived as long as most elves did, the oldest among them never living more than 400 years. Also, the innate ability that all elves had to use magic had gone from them, with the very occasional exception. The Tharvan elves were no more. Now they were known as the Orcs. Following these events, the Aenati were forced to depart Tor, they had been too weakened by their work on the Orcs, and could no longer dwell alongside the peoples of the world. So, after leaving a final message to the world upon a tablet in the lighthouse of Kalad Elu, they returned to where they had come from, leaving the three peoples alone. And how quickly the minds of mortals forget. 
As it has ever been, history faded to legend, legend became myth, knowledge became belief, which soon faded into faith. The stories of the NAT were passed by the elves and the orcs to their children, and to their children's children, and so on, until the truth of the First Folk was all but forgotten. Their names had been given to new characters that were now praised and worshipped. The gods had come to Tor. This was not helped by the new arrivals. The Gwyngwaith, the new people, or sometimes known as the Kulthenta, the short-lived, Wherever the A80 went to, it opened the way for other peoples to enter the world of Tor. Humans, gnomes, goblins, halflings, peoples with lifespans that could be measured in the span of a century. They spread across the face of the world, and they heard of the A80 and joined with the elves and orcs in their worship. After all, how could such great and powerful figures be anything other than gods? Only the dwarves, it seems, went untouched by this fashion perhaps because of their preference to remain apart from the other peoples. But across the various dwarven cultures and cities, there are no gods, no churches, and no priesthoods. The dwarves have instead developed a kind of veneration or hero worship of notable ancestors, those who have done great or notable things and deserve to be remembered, but always strictly as mortals. They were great people, yes, but still no more than people. But here I shall set down, for the sake of completion, the gods and goddesses that are now worshipped in Tor, in their various forms. First among the divines, mother of the world, Anarel is the goddess of the sun and of fire. She typically also holds domain over all things traditionally feminine, beauty, wisdom and motherhood. The current myth states that it was Anarel who first brought the world into being, spinning out the world and the stars upon a cosmic loom. Assisting her in this effort was her consort, Ingathil, who is worshipped as god of the moon and lord of waters. As Anarel is to all things feminine, Ingathil is believed to hold domain over all things traditionally masculine, fatherhood, leadership, and fortitude. In all temples of the gods, Anarel and Ingathil are always pictured together, with Anarel being the taller of the two. It is interesting to note that, even in the heavily patriarchal Aladia, who always held Ingathil in higher regard, Anarel is still given prominence over her consort in all depictions. The one exception is in goblin culture, where their equivalents, Gorik and Gore, are shown as equals. The tenet of Anarel and Ingathil is, Understand thyself and do thy duty. In study and understanding of the self shall ye find true purpose. Honour the law and lawgivers, honour thy parents, and honour thine own life. Singer of the winds, chainbreaker, and long strider of the world, Ialagos is the goddess of the skies and the winds. She is the patron of travellers and protector of those who live in bondage. The image of Ialagos was generally used synonymously with freedom and life on the open road, and maybe because of this, Ialagos has no dedicated temples, which sets her apart from the other gods. Instead, roadside shrines can be found across the world which are dedicated to the goddess of freedom. The tenet of Ialagos is, look to the sky, look to the horizon, seek the next beyond, allow none to restrain you, and seek ye not to restrain another. Halcrowd is god of the earth, of metal and smithcraft. 
He is also patron of trade and of builders. To the orcs, who know him as Belak, he is also seen as a god of discipline and dedication, and as such, is held by them in high honour. Indeed, the largest temple of Halkreld can be found in Crandur. It is said that anyone wishing to find an example of masterful craftsmanship need only look to the feet of the statue of Balak, for there you will find a pile of them given to the god in offering. The tenet of Halkreld is, Only in admitting defeat can thou be defeated, and only in thinking something good enough shall ye reach thy potential. Strive ever for greater, and work hard, and ye shall know no limit. The Lady of Peace, the open-handed, Ayalaunen is the goddess of life and healing. She is the patron of those who give their lives to the service of others. In Eilath, where she is known as Ilaheld, she was always portrayed in the highest regard, and in the human city of Sakara, she has actually supplanted the other gods and is now worshipped alone by the people who dwell there. The tenet of Ailaunen is, Be kind and generous to thy fellows, protect and love them, and heal those in need. Stand against those who would do harm to the innocent. The Wild Huntress, the queen of the forests and stalker of the night, Hrovan is the goddess of the wild places of the world. Her domain is the forests, the woods, the rivers, and she is the patron of the trees and animals. Hrovan cares little for the worship or adoration of the mortal races, and as such, her temples are few and far between. But she is venerated highly by rural communities, who pray for her favour and protection from the wild animals that come for their livestock. The tenet of Hrovan is, Thou art a part of the world, not an exception to it. Live in peace with the world, its forests and its creatures, and great bounty will be afforded to you. Dwell apart from it, or seek the domination of it, then thou will know the fury of the wilds, and in it see my wrath. Master of the library, keeper of secrets and whisperer in the dark, Ikareth is god of knowledge and lord of the dead. He rules over the underworld from the citadel of Solace, a place of dark and quiet serenity, where every book ever written stack the shelves of the eternal library. Every non-dwarven town and city in the world has a hall of the dead, where prayers are given to Urkareth in the hope that he will protect those going to his charge, as well as those already there. The tenet of Urkareth is, Fear not the inevitable, and flee it not. Death comes to all things in its time. Live the life you have, learn all you can, for knowledge is its own reward, and all you can bring with you to the next world. The Laughing One, Chaos Incarnate, Lord of Power. These titles and more have been given to Pernalak, the god of magic. According to stories, it was Pernalak who first taught the elves how to harness the power of the Fey Realm that bled through Intertor, and it was Pernalak who raised the four lighthouses at the end of the War of the Dawn. Pernalak is unique among the gods in that he is not usually depicted with a figure similar to that of an elf. He is usually shorter and lither, much more similar in appearance to one of the Fae. I wonder if Pernalak was, perhaps, a servant of Opharon, who wished an end to the conflict and so struck a deal with the elves. An interesting possibility to consider. Pernalak does not have a tenet associated with him, only words of advice. The power of magic is dangerous. Use it carefully. Empty idols, all of them. 
no more divine in their power than I am. But I suppose the lessons ascribed to them are decent enough. And in the troubled times the people of Tor now face, I suppose I cannot begrudge them whatever comforts they can find. And better their devotion be directed at empty idols than other powers. But my highest regard remains with the dwarves. They who eschewed the worship of the divine and instead turned their devotion towards other pursuits. While the other peoples raised temples and monuments to their gods and prayed for a heaven, the dwarves built marvels and created their own heavens in the form of their cities. And one city more than any other was the pride of the dwarven race and was, for a time, the foremost wonder of the world. But of these things, we shall talk another time. Quest of Ruin is distributed by Scroll and Dagger under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. Today's episode was written and performed by Gareth Cadogan. For more information, visit scrollanddagger.com. Hi, this is Gina Moriarty, Chief Editor of Scroll and Dagger. I'm here to tell you about The Pensive Tower, a brand new podcast we're going to be releasing soon. The world of The Pensive Tower is one recovering from calamity, after an event remembered only as the Great Collapse brought about the end of civilization as it was known and plunged the world into a dark age. Now, nearly 2,000 years later, a new society has arisen and the pensive tower was built to house the memories of the people to ensure such a loss of knowledge never happens again. Join Paxton Ferrex as he makes his way through the donated memories housed within the tower and discovers that the horrors that brought about the Great Collapse might not be such a distant memory after all. Find the pensive tower wherever you get your podcasts.